All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast, a podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. Uh, Happy New Year, 2020, big year. Uh, and I and so what we're starting with here is we're going to go through somewhat of a mini series of Ephesians 6, 12 through 18. Um, which I'll read in a second, but it's kind of going to be based off of Nick's sermon that he gave a couple of weeks ago because Nick is a pastor and he gave a sermon on this. And so if you haven't heard the sermon, we're going to put a link in the bio to that. And I suggest that you go listen to that and then come back and listen to this after you've listened to that sermon, just so things might make a little bit more, might make a little bit more sense. Um, but without further ado, we're going to get started. And I'm just going to start with reading reading uh, Ephesians 6, 12 through 18 out of the NLT. Because <laughs> uh, it's my favorite one. So uh, here we go. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the, and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So I had a couple of questions. I was going back and, and reading or listening through the sermon. And um, the first thing that you talked about, Nick, was that uh, it was like a joke. You, you said that, you know, hearing Jesus as a baby and being a warrior is, is kind of a joke or something along those lines. Was that, is that, that's how it went? Yeah. In the sermon, I, I spent some time on this where yeah. I talked about how, um, Jesus is the savior who is the Messiah King, who is the ruler of the universe, who is born in the city of the great warlord King. And the angels say, you'll find him in a animal feeding trough wrapped yeah. in cloth and he's a baby. Yeah. And I told people that that's an incredible contrast. And in fact, the shepherds themselves are told by an angel and it says that the angel stands in front of the heavenly host and you know people of roman catholic background think oh lots of little bread wafers that's mm -hmm. no but host is actually a word used for um armies okay. so or a very large group yeah so, I, I actually did not know that until yeah, like two years ago yeah and so sometimes people think oh the great heavenly host right. that's that's all the angels singing that's a choir I mean, maybe soldiers can sing, but the, the usually the word host just refers to a very large group of people. And in most contexts, it's an army. So, and Jesus is the king of that army. So it is kind of a, it's a huge contrast because you have this very like delicate, fragile child born in a place that has no fanfare. He's not protected and so on. You can just go through all these ironies mm -hmm. and there's the, the, both the birth narratives in the gospels and the crucifixion narratives in the gospels are chalked full of irony that things are just the opposite of what they seem and 
God is treated the opposite of how he should be. And there's mm-hmm. just all these ironies that the authors build in so that people can understand the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when I was listening to it, I kind of realized that, that like for me personally, I, I, I guess also for our culture, we never really think of Jesus as a warrior and and like when you talk about army and like a war and all that, even like I'm a confrontational guy. I love that type of stuff. And when I think about Jesus, that's not what I think of. And I think that that has to do with the culture. And and so why like why do you think that the yeah. culture like hates thinking of Jesus as this warrior or as as like this being a huge battle? And, and yeah, I mean, in some sense, this isn't just since the advent of teacup parenting, you know, in all of our modern fragilities. It is, I mean, Schopenhauer, a philosopher uh, who preceded Nietzsche and Nazi Germany and all that, said that he he believed in the pagan virtues that were strong and manly virtues and in the virtues of Jesus, which were essentially feminine virtues. And so he associated Jesus with feminine virtues like mercy and kindness and peacefulness and so on. And the ancient Romans as, you know, the the believers of the virtues of virility and strength and prudence and so on. Right. It's just a terrible misreading of Jesus. And it it, it partly comes from modernity's misunderstanding that we don't really believe in devils. And so when Jesus is casting out demons, we think of him casting out demons as like some kind of strange medical procedure. You know, it's kind of like, Oh, that person must've had schizophrenia and he healed them. That's really neat. Listen, I'm not saying that some of the situations in the Bible where people where de- demons are cast out of people, there isn't mental illness there or mental illness there too or whatever. The the point is is that they're in slavery. The whole point of demonic possession and exorcism in the New Testament is sla- enslavement and freedom. And so Jesus comes as a warrior freeing. That's what salvation means. It means to free someone from oppression. And so you deliver them, and in delivering them from that oppression, you save them. In fact, one, there's one place where a woman is like crippled for like 14 years by a spirit, it says, and he casts out the spirit, and it's the Sabbath day, and they're like, you shouldn't be working. And Jesus is like, why shouldn't I have freed this woman who has been kept subdued mm-hmm. these long years? Yeah. Right. So he sees it as a woman who doesn't need to be in slavery one more day. And, and also you can see this in the, in the warrior metaphor. Yeah, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. But if you're a warrior and you have to fight that day, you fight. Mm. Like if Jews were attacked on the Sabbath day, they fought. They didn't go, well, we couldn't possibly pick up our swords. Well, that's, that's, sometimes I feel like that that's used as a, a way for Christians to disregard the Sabbath and be like, well, wait, the Sabbath isn't really a thing anymore. I don't know anything about I don't know if we should have a Sabbath or not in this we should do a Sabbath podcast because there's a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot yeah. in that question. But I, I do think part of the point here is is Jesus is saying this woman should be freed mm-hmm. because she's in bondage and she's being kept in bondage by an enslaver, and I am driving out because ekbalo means to basically to throw out. Balo is the Greek word to throw, like throw a ball. Mm-hmm. So ekbalo means to throw it, throw somebody out. So like a, bou- a bouncer ekbalos people. He throws people out of the bar. Her being an idiot. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is like this bouncer and he comes in and he throws the demon out of this woman's life. You know what I mean? And that's a violent, strong thing. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be any, you know, bouncers don't have to be mean, but they have to take that guy and throw him out of the bar because he's, he's causing problems, he's causing problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then that's what Jesus is doing. He's throwing stuff out and that's the work of a strong man. Yeah. And that's what Jesus refers to himself. I mean, there's other place where he talks about, um, the only reason why demons can be cast out is because a stronger man has come. Mm-hmm. He literally says that. He's like, Satan is the strong man. The only way to get uh, a strong man out of your house is for a stronger, stronger man, man to come along. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus uses lots of metaphor. They're not all literally 
military metaphors, but he uses a lot of strength metaphors, a lot of physical conflict metaphors, and that's really important because the well, spiritual even with life the is that. armor of God to be to 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 have the power to cast demons out into to fight against Satan, you need you need to be stronger, and you need to be stronger than him. And and military like army people who are in the military they they work out to become stronger so then they can overcome their opponent. I think that it all like with with the armor that all that put together is like a, a recipe for success. Yeah, and one of the things I explored in the sermons was that one of the reasons armor is a good metaphor is you're not stronger than devils. But if you have the right armaments, then you can become stronger than something you're actually weaker than. So some guy who's like 570 pounds and all muscle and all fighting skill coming at me with a sword is still going to lose if I have a fully automatic machine gun. Right. Because my armaments are so superior to his, I am made stronger by my equipment and the armor of God is basically the divine equipment that makes us people much weaker than our spiritual foes much stronger if and only if we put them on Hmm. and we put them all on yeah well when um when I was thinking about when I was thinking about some of the stuff and and even before we get into talking about the actual um the actual armor I think is good to talk about like who we're fighting and yeah. like you just said is is it's demons and devils and all that but how are you how how can we discern or like figure out because when i'm in my everyday life and somebody just like pisses me off i'm just like i this person i get mad at that person right. and then i attack that person and then but that's not you were saying the opposite of that is you can't attack the person which is why jesus is like love your enemies but it's ridiculously hard, and I was wondering how do you figure out how are you able to not attack the person and, and only attack like the evil? You know, mm-hmm. it seems impossible sometimes. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot here, right? Obviously, there's a lot of modern presumption against the possibility of devils or demons existing, partly because I think they retain really primitive notions. People retain really primitive notions in their mind about what a devil or demon is. And so then they feel unsophisticated thinking about one. Mm-hmm. All the Bible affirms about devils or demons is that they are accusers, that they're intelligent, spiritual beings, that they exist, that they're opposed to God and that they have interest in destroying us. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't, most of the stuff people think they know about demons or devils really are superstitious in a lot of ways. And we don't do ourselves any favors believing in some of them. A lot of what Christians think they know about devils, the Bible doesn't say, for example, like we don't we don't know who Satan really is. Mm-hmm. We know that there is a devil that is called Hasatan, which means the accuser, and that he accuses and attacks us. Mm-hmm. We don't know where he's from, how he got there. The whole like, well, he was the worship leader in heaven. He was given the gift of music and all that. That's all speculation, mm-hmm. right? So it's important to think that some people will think that this is ironic and they'll they won't believe this. But the Bible actually talks about devils in very scientific ways. It it affirms only minimal things about them. All those things are directly operational. None of them are superstitious and they're very direct, right? And they're, they're focused on actionable intelligence. Mm-hmm. There's not speculation. There's very little. In fact, a lot of Christians don't like how little is told to us about devils in the Bible, right? And so what we need to recognize is just like some scientific concepts were understood very primitively in the ancient world, like alchemy, Right. So the science of metals, we didn't say, oh, let's get rid of all metal sciences because alchemy is stupid. No, we realized at least to this point, we can't turn lead into gold. 
but we can put carbon in steel and make it a heck of a lot stronger mm-hmm. and completely transform our lives, right? And so um, there are ways in which science advances and your ideas of things become more advanced and less superstitious. And so the modern secular person wants to say, well, devils, that's just mere superstition. Now we should just throw it away. Well, maybe, or we should take what scripture says, add to it our present knowledge, and actually come up with a more sophisticated, clearer, more believing way of believing in devils, which is, I think, what Jesus would affirm. Mm-hmm. Well, in America, it, it feels like there's not, it feels like that's, that's not really present sometimes. I feel, uh, I've, when I hear people that go overseas for missions trips and they're like, mm-hmm. we're casting out demons and yada, 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 it, it, that sounds like cool, but in America, you never really see that. Or if you do, yeah, it's some crazy pastor guy who's like lying or something like that. Or like, you or know what I mean? it seems that way because they're kind of wacky. It feels like they're wacky. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. You, it's just, even myself, I'm super skeptical of that type of, Stuff where it's like, yeah, I've casted out demons and this, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, I, I John, were you, were you at that night where we did we had to do that exorcism at an elder meeting? No, you weren't at that. No, yeah, I mean, not just not that long ago, a few months back, we had a young woman who appeared to be either profoundly oppressed or possessed. Mm-hmm. Um, she had she was starting to have medical conditions doctors couldn't make any sense of that didn't seem to fit. They seemed to be related to something going on in her mind or in her heart or soul, so to speak. She was having like significant outbursts where she would go into other personas, um, say words she didn't apparently know what they meant, hmm. um, but using them in a proper context of one, another. Now, a psychologist might look at that and just say, oh, this person is having a rupture with a multiple personality disorder or something like that. Maybe that's true. Um, but I, I actually invited another pastor who had done a lot of exorcisms and overseas mission trips and invited him to work with our elders with this young woman. And I mean, we, we worked with her for like a couple of hours and like just, it was pretty wild stuff. I don't want to go into it because yeah. part of what you want to do with folks who suffer from that is, is respect their privacy and be discreet because it can be very humiliating mm-hmm. what yeah. you do in these States. Um, but yeah, she's, she got a lot of freedom. She's become sort of progressively free from this. So a lot of her symptoms have gone away and Medically, nothing new has happened. Now, a psychology, it depends on how you want to interpret this, right? It depends on the assumptions you bring in. Mm-hmm. If you bring in utterly secular assumptions, you might say, well, this woman was turning psychological problems into a personified thing. Mm-hmm. And then as you dealt with the personified yeah. idea, yeah. it resolved it for her and she got better. Yeah. Okay, that might be true, but you have no more proof of that than that there's devils. Right. Right. Yeah. right? That's really just your, you bring your assumptions in here. Now, the problem is, is as we've understood people better psychologically and as we've come to understand mental illness better, um, there's a lot of things that people would have looked at as demonic in the ancient world that we know have more to them yeah, or that we can do something with, with medications, those sorts of things. I just think it's probably worth finding out how complicated all this is. Uh-huh. I think that you can have mental illness. I think you can have demonic possession connected to mental illness. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I don't. I don't take, I don't get rid of any of the tools, yeah. right? I'm okay with using medication. I also think that when something looks like demon possession, you should treat it like demon possession. Mm-hmm. Well, so when I talk to people that are young, that are my age about, about this type of stuff, uh, in America, a lot of them get really frustrated and they're like, well, I don't ever see, uh, demons being cast out in America and this and that. And so I, I have a theory on that. I don't know if there's, if I, I just kind of thought of it, but do you think that the reason why you don't see as many, insanely like miracles of casting out demons and that in America is 
because when you go overseas and 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 you're in an area that has never heard the gospel or doesn't have Bibles and you go over there, um, just like w- w- when the New Testament was being written, they didn't have the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so during Acts and during Jesus's time, there's casting out of demons all over the place as some sort of like proof that Jesus is God and these are the fo- these are Jesus's followers and they mm-hmm. can cast out demons because they have that power from God. And so now in America, our proof is scripture. And so when you go overseas to a place that doesn't have scripture and and you're like, you're over there and you're able to cast out demons or you see people casting out demons and then you come back to America and you're not doing it as much, yeah. people get frustrated. Do you think that it's just because they don't have proof over there and the proof is in the person that's going over there and casting out demons in the name of God. And over here we have Bibles and every translation and everything that we need. Therefore, God doesn't need to prove himself through, um, through, through miracles as much in casting out demons here in America. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm prone to just start talking. So I'm going to wait a second, see if John jumps in here. I mean, a, a potential danger of the, of looking at it through the lens of, okay, what is God's main aim is to prove himself. And so what is the particular proof that he might be using in a different context and how might the culture of that context change the way that God is using to prove himself. The potential danger in there is um, there are places, I mean, there are stories all over the kind of modern Christian world. And there are places in the Bible where it talks about somebody being, being saved or a demon being cast out and them not coming to Jesus still. So it's like, as far as a, as far as just looking it through the narrow lens of God is using whatever he can mm-hmm. to prove to somebody. It could still be an act of divine proof though, right? Right. It still it could just is totally. unbelieved. Like God right. God vindicates himself in all kinds of ways. So okay, so there's two there's two the two dangers I see is one is that it can produce cessationism here. Mm-hmm. That like if you say, Well, God does that work over there where the, they don't have Bibles or something and he do, he doesn't seem to be doing it here. Um so we shouldn't be looking for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That that actually is the same argument that cessationists use. That is, people who believe that the gifts of the Spirit are not operative today use when they say, you know, once the Bible has oh. been established and canonized, we don't need speaking in tongues or prophecy or, or exorcism or any of these things anymore because yeah. God is operating through his written word. It's just important to recognize the Bible nowhere says that, yeah. right? The Bible assumes in 1 Corinthians 13 that the gifts of the Spirit will last till the return of Christ in his second coming and that they accompany the scriptures— Right. And I think it's important. So there's, there's a couple of possibilities here. One is we may be, we may be under emphasizing how much is happening here, right. or we may be simply walking by stuff because we don't have eyes to see it. Right. I think there's an enormous amount of, or you think, dem- or there's a different type of, uh, of de- demonic. Oh yeah. Oppression. I, I think that too. I, I mean, yeah. there's like eight things here that yeah. I could get to, but yeah. one is we're walking by demonic possession every day. Like yeah. for example, if we think that everything wrong with people's minds is mental illness, right. yeah, then th- in theory, Right, there could be a ton of depression, and we would be treating it like mental illness, even if we don't understand it. Well, we'll, we would call it something because remember, a lots of men, a lot of mental illness is not something you like look at their brain and figure out. Mental illness is diagnosed by a series of symptoms, Mm -hmm. and then we can either research or come to believe that it's for certain genetic causes or certain. Um, like brain wiring or so on. But even that, we know that our brains wire themselves too. Mm-hmm. So so it's hard to know sometimes whether something's a chicken or, the, or chicken or egg. And so there's a, there's a lot of like gray area in there. Yeah. So we could be walking by a lot of demonic activity. Secondly, in, the, in places that are less westernized, people believe in the spiritual world and they attempt to access it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, spiritually speaking, things like divination and shamanism and all that kind of stuff, um, the Bible treats like there is some validity to it and that you can try to access what's, spirits. What's, what's uh, shamanism? Shamanism is, is essentially the like the practice of accessing spirits okay. for certain purposes. Whether okay. it's, it's, it's what, um, you know, in, in ancient Europe, they would have called it witchcraft. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, and so like in places like India, there are still witch doctors that you can go to to get your kid healed. Huh. Right. In, I think the Bible. And it works, that, right? Doesn't it? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So, so there, there is the issue of like, if you're in a culture that is trying to access the spiritual world, the likelihood that you are going to be interacting with it is higher. Right. Right. So there's that. Um, I know plenty of people. I mean, one of the one of the most um, accepted genres of movies in America is the hor- is the spiritual horror movie, right. Yeah. right? And it tends to be more gripping than anything else because people actually do find um, eerie, demonic-y, like spiritual spirit stuff mm-hmm. kind of intuitively credible, even and though the Ouija they find boards, it rationally incredible. Those are right. huge. Yeah, and there's actually um, I can't, I cannot remember what the number is, but I remember reading a study a bit ago that was talking about just kind of looking at your average American and their beliefs about spiritual things, about things like ghosts and demons and things like that. And the, the percentage was, was surprisingly high to me. Right. The number of people who, who Lewis, did have some understanding. C.S. Lewis said that was predictable. So, yeah. um, so t- two of his works that are really interesting along these lines is one is obviously the screw tape letters where he writes yeah. about demons, right? And how they would work. And one of them is, is he says, uh, he, now this is of course speculative, but He's speaking through this demon screw tape, who's a fictional character, but he says, right now in the Western countries, our policy, meaning hell's policy, is to not reveal ourselves. Right. That is how we're lulling people. We don't, we, we tempt, we, we guide thought, but yeah. we don't appear to people. We don't possess people. We don't do that because if we do that, they'll know we exist. And the minute yeah. you know devils exist, that means spiritual beings exist. Yeah. could mean that God exists. We yeah. don't want that. We want good materialists. Mm-hmm. And so therefore we... We just guide people towards materialism because that damns them just as well as anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I actually do think that's probably true. Yeah. Now in Lewis's space trilogy, he talks about how he, how he believed and he believed that this was a demonic intention that as people became more materialistic through being more scientific, right? So we become more scientific. That's a grace of God. Mm-hmm. God allows us to realize more about our world. We're fulfilling the creation mandate. That was his purpose all along. But scientific scientific knowledge can lead you easily to materialism. The material is all there is, which can lead you to all kinds of self-based philosophies that can damn you really well. And so Lewis believed, though, that the human heart had a capacity for um, spiritualism. And he actually thought that there would be a point where we would grow so materialistic that we would let a spiritualism come in the back door again. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, the great victory of hell is, is that we could be atheistic materialists and superstitious pagans oh. at the same time. Hmm. And you see this, like if you like Madison is a good example of this, you've got your like materialist yoga, new age people. And you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Right. Or like people who believe like all the secular stuff, but they're into Gaia and winter solstice and, because they want a spirituality because it's programmed into their intuitional being. Right. They need it. And yet materialism provides nothing, no meaning. Like it's only meaning that you make up, but meaning that you make up is, is not really very stable and it's not centering. It's not assuring. It's like all these things humans need in relationship, to their security and their purpose. Mm-hmm. 
self-created purpose really doesn't deeply fulfill. It's true that you can make up your own meaning. That's true, but that meaning is like it's pretty vaporous. Yeah. It's yeah. like Ecclesiastes. In in the end, it's in the end, it's meaningless. Meaning, the meaning right. ends up being meaningless. Right. Right. And so you need something more. And the, and so you'll turn to something that isn't an authority over you, but that you think will give you something that you want. And magic does that much better than theology. Because mm-hmm. if you turn to theology and the cross, Jesus will demand something of you as he gives you meaning. If you turn to magic and spiritualism and that sort of thing, you can hunt and peck and pick and choose your way through it and, mm-hmm. and like kind of suck out a meaning from it. And that's what people will do in the material estate. And I think Lewis, and Lewis wrote that like back in the 60s. Yeah. I, I think he's just been so right. Yeah. You look at the West Coast, especially in the East yeah. Coast, in places like Madison, you get these people who are absolute materialists mm-hmm. who are also becoming increasingly superstitious. Right. And I think that the Christians should find themselves being increasingly scientific and increasingly theological and increasingly integrative as that goes mm-hmm. so that we're filling the creation mandate, which is essentially a scientific and actional mandate right. while living up the salvation mandate, which is the transformation of our, our being and our mm-hmm. souls and our hearts and our spirits. And those two should come increasingly together. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, th- I think that that's good that we get that kind of talk about that first about who we're actually fighting um, and that we believe that there is like demons and devils because if yeah. you don't believe that, it's it's hard to read the rest of this passage and right. one of the things do anything. Andy, you brought up operationally was how do you do that or why does it matter? And one of the things yeah. I said to people is I believe that even if you're an atheist, the belief in devils is operationally necessary because what you really need if you're not going to hate your enemy is you need a way to not personify the evil in them. But you do believe that the evil is, is is not arbitrary. It's coming from a personal source. So you can't just be like, oh, so-and-so just doesn't believe right. Well, why don't they believe right? Well, they chose not to believe right. Well, the only re- way they could have not chosen to believe wrong, right, other than there's a couple like things you can get at, but they still lead to fault, is a greater, a greater deceiver has deceived them, hmm. right? And so what you end up needing is you need, you need an enemy that's not them, that, and that is a personal intelligence. Now, I didn't show all my work in that logic, so we can't do that all right now. Yeah. But the operationally, what happens is if, if you can see a person who is not that person you're looking at as the real enemy, yeah. you can see them as somebody who's being attacked, who's being, um, who's being overcome, who's yeah. being Con- right, and and you can have compassion for them, and you can say, "Wait, I'm supposed to be their ally, not their enemy." And this yeah. devil, the devil, is my real enemy. And so there is a huge, even if it was false there's a huge operational human benefit to believing in demons properly according to Christian scripture. Not every way people believe in devils or, or demons or spirits, but in the biblical way to do it, if you do that correctly, it leads to peacemaking, it leads mm. to love, it leads to rehabilitation, it leads to caring, it leads to not writing people off, it leads to conversation and real debate with people who disagree with you because you believe they can be freed. It leads to a lot of good things if it's done correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about uh, how Jesus puts on his armor as well, or he's got a different type of armor um, because he's a, he's like the commander, you know? Yeah. Um, what, so you talk, what is it? Was it like the robe of vengeance or something like that? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's Isaiah 59 where yeah. there is the, the closest passage in, 
the armor in, of the of King Jesus in Isaiah 59 is not exactly the same as in Ephesians 6. It's because he's the general, yeah. the conquering hero, and we're the foot soldier, and yeah. they wear different armor. Right. And one of the differences is the magnificent cape the general wears mm-hmm. that no, nobody else wears, yeah. and it makes him look awesome. Yeah. And and that's what that's called in Isaiah is the robe of vengeance. What is vengeance? That's, that's my next question is what is vengeance? And what... Because for me, I would love to have that the the robe of vengeance, vengeance, right? Yeah. But I don't get it, and, yeah, and I especially can't if have it's it. like wolf fur or something, right? Like, something like out of Gladiator, yeah, that'd yeah, be awesome. So, what does that look like for Jesus? What? Why does I understand why he gets the robe of vengeance because he's the only one that could use that effectively. Right. I think we would all screw that up. Yeah, but the what, robe what of exactly vengeance is, is exactly what it sounds like. It is the the right and action of taking revenge upon one's enemies rightly. Could it be? Could it be like? Uh, could it be kind of similar to like justice, the robe of justice, or is his vengeance not always just? I think that if I think when we use the word justice, we without maybe realizing it eliminate the possible meaning of vengeance. Yeah. But sometimes vengeance is just. The reason why human beings are not allowed to engage in vengeance is because we can't wade into the blood of our enemies up to our waist and retain our character. Mm -hmm. And so when human beings engage in vengeance, we always overdo it because we always underestimate the rights of others and overestimate the slights against ourselves. And so when we attack, we overdo everything, right? That's why God God can say to to Moses, look, justice is an eye for an eye. Uh That's justice. And that's what's in the law. The law is an eye for an eye. The problem is is that nobody's content with stopping it, just getting an eye back. Right. Right. I was going to take it one step further, just like like in the dating podcast when you said, like if you start kissing, then you're going to start making out. It's the same. It's the same way with this. You're just going to our mind will just take it one step further and one step further. Yeah. In some ways, anger is similar to arousal. It stops being rational. Yeah. And when that happens, your sense of security draws your vision into yourself and closes down your mental vision, and all you see is what you want for yourself. And that's true in both in terms of vengeance because they're, they're both rooted in security, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's a huge issue. So Jesus is the only one who can come back and see the slights of mankind exactly perfectly an eye for an eye. And he can come in and he can right. do sort, exactly what must be done. Right, exactly. Sort through all of the, right. like, because every single, every single action has a, has a ripple effect beyond what we can possibly imagine. So, right. I mean, and this is, again, relating to the dating podcast. Like, when you talk about people people who are delaying pairing off and how that like is affecting those two people. It's affecting the people who are around them. It's affecting all their future families. And so to, in order to weigh that properly is just something that is beyond our scope. And so the reason why it's not given to us is because beyond the immediate, like retributive justice action, we just can't figure out what needs to be done. Yeah, so John's right. That's the second limit. So our first limitation is we're not morally good enough. Mm-hmm. Our second limitation is, is that we're too incomplete. We don't have enough knowledge. We're not wise enough. So in the Jesus is of, the only good and the only wise God. In the Garden of Eden, were they capable of... Would we have been capable of of attaining this, like, vengeance? Or... In theory. Yeah. In theory. In theory. Yeah. Okay. But remember, when Jesus, when Jesus actually comes to bring redemption... He basically says, we're not doing eye for an eye anymore. Like that was the law. And you're, do do you realize you're terrible at it? It's been 1500 years. You suck at eye for an eye. Right. And so (laughs) we're not doing that. What you're going to do is you're going to love your enemy. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Jesus taught as the forefront of how we deal with enemies. And it's because if you're not going to get justice, if you're not really going to get an eye for an eye, then what are you doing? You're going to get less than an eye. Well, then that then being evil pays off because mm-hmm. what you get is less than the co- is more than the cost, right? Because if you don't take a whole eye, well, then there it is. Yeah. So Jesus is like, so don't. Tr- I mean, justice isn't going to work. What you need to do is try to win over your enemy by not exacting from them the penalty they deserve. But that's not, that doesn't mean that there will not be vengeance, right? It means that there will be vengeance. Yeah. Jesus will wear the robe of vengeance and mm-hmm. he will meet it out. So when he meets out justice, when he judges the earth, it's the reason why his robe is called the robe of vengeance is because we're sinners uh-huh. and because we're unrepentant, because we're terrible. Because we do all, a lot of what justice is going to look like is vengeance. Yeah. People think, oh, justice, I'm going to get, that guy's going to get get it for what yeah, he did to me. Yeah. No, no, your head's going to get cut off is what's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to be dismembered by the great sword of the word of God and your blood is going to flow into the fields until there's nothing left of you. Right. That's what's going to happen unless you are behind King Jesus as part of his people mm. because you've received his mercy. That's yeah. all there is. There's mm-hmm. You get either mercy or vengeance. Nobody's get, everybody's going to get justice in a sense. Mm-hmm. But the only justice human beings ever deserve is vengeance or mercy. So so when I hear this, and I think when people who are, I guess, the cultural Christian in America these days, hears Jesus having this robe of vengeance or being being able to be vengeful mm-hmm. in a just and like perfect way, it seems like counter, it, it seems like it doesn't work because when I think of vengeance, I, I equate it with sin and like anger and hatred. And so how, how, how is that differentiated when Jesus is using, I know you kind of just talked about, but how, how is that? Think, differentiated? Of it, think of it a little bit like an alcoholic. Remember, because sin is not just wickedness. It's also an addiction. It's a sickness. It's an infirmity. And so it, it, it gets to the very depths of us. So if I said, okay, anger is not bad, right? It'd be kind of like saying to an alcoholic, Alcohol's not bad. Well, alcohol's not bad. Right. It's not inherently bad, right? Yeah. But to an alcoholic, when you mix something that's not inherently bad with that person's condition, right. it's bad, yeah. right? Yeah. It, what ends right. up happening is bad. Same right. thing with yeah. anger. If you take a sinful human being who self-justifies themselves, is always concerned about their own security, uh, right, and all that, the condition they're in, and then you say, well, use go ahead and use anger. Anger's not bad. What happens is, well, you're an, you're a rageaholic, though, is the right. problem. Yeah. Right. And so you're going to take the good thing that is anger, and you're going to just mess it up, right? Jesus is the only one who's so not a rageaholic. So there are certain mm-hmm. sins like that. So you couldn't say that about lust. Lust is always bad, no matter what, right? You can't... There, well, well is so, it so there's not marriage? certain. Yeah, but desire is not always bad. Right. right. There's not certain sins like that. Like the sin is always a problem. So yeah, yeah, yeah. lust okay. is always a problem. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Remember, there's nothing. Right. There's almost nothing that's a sin in itself. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's a sin is when something good is misused. It's it it's it's used not according to its true purpose right. or its teleology. So desire is a good, uh-huh. but loosing your desire on someone who isn't yours, who you have no sexual rights to, who shouldn't be giving their sexual being to you. Like that is lust, right? Adultery is when you give yourself sexually to somebody who's not yours. Right. You're using sex, right? S- similarly, um, revenge in the negative sense is when you loose your anger in a way that you're not allowed to, that's not right, that's not just, and that's not appropriate. Right. And if you're in a condition that's so sick that you can't use vengeance justly. You're just not in, you're like, an, you're like a 
alcoholic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just can't drink alcohol. Uh-huh. That's it, man. Yeah. There are certain things we you just got to cut it do. off. Yeah. Right. If you're right, if your right arm, your right arm isn't bad, but if it causes you to sin, you got to cut it off. And it's, it's the same way with right all this stuff. Right. There's a lot of things that are inherently good we can't really do now. Yeah. In theory, as we grow in godliness, one of the goals of godliness is to become increasingly strong in keeping and walking with the Spirit and being remade in the image of God, that a lot of things we couldn't touch, we can handle again. Right? And that's, right. A, that's a good thing. And in heaven, there won't be anything of the gifts of God that yeah. we can't handle. Yeah, one of the one of the things that, uh, one of the verses that has always really stuck with me with, with regards to that is the, um, I think it's in Timothy when Paul is talking to Timothy and says, to the pure, everything is pure. Right. And like there is a there is a point to which you can get to being made strong in God to you can handle the kind of things that are that like before you would not be able to handle. Um, and I mean, this is, this is something that we see all the time in the forgiven and free ministry yeah, was, yeah. where, so there's this ministry at high point church where guys are, are going to battle with sexual addiction and coming out of that. And initially they can't handle their phones. Right. Without right. them being locked down, right? But, but without goal, taking the internet off, right? Completely. Without without the, without the internet being taken off. But right. the goal is always that they get to the point where they would be able to mm. to reintegrate that technology back into their lives in a way right. that they're actually going to be able to have the strength of character to to hold a phone that has no restrictions and not yeah. do anything with it, right? Know? And also, the part of that is like because nobody would ever know if if they did um, start to watch porn or something again afterwards p- part of that that uh discipline that you're talking about is uh integrity and i feel like that's right. extremely important as well right right so with yeah. vengeance it's it's like that same right and if you had absolute integrity you could take vengeance on people right right but right we can't we're not right. there yeah. that's one of the reasons why we have like what we call what we call the justice system yeah. in every country in the world it doesn't produce justice it never has it's just We've got to have something, yeah. right? And so all these people are, I hope, trying as hard as they can yeah. to produce things that are basically just, and we just do the best we can. Yeah. But anybody who thinks it's just, I mean, there was a there was a um, a, a survey of Americans, and an incredibly high number of Americans were like, one of their greatest fears, like in this society they live in, is to have to do anything in the legal system. Mm-hmm. And it, which is weird because if the legal system was Jesus, everybody would be like, oh, it'd be fine. Because yeah. if I'm ever, I'll get justice, and Jesus right. will, it'll be fine. So I'm not afraid of that. Right. But that's not how Americans feel, right? right. Because I they remember, don't expect to get justice. I remember thinking about that and reading all the places in the Psalms where David says that mm. I delight in the judgments of the Lord. Right. And it's like, man, what we do, not, we do not have anything close to that kind of attitude of I delight in the judgments of the American government yeah. potentially on my life, right? Yeah. Or the family court system, or right. the criminal court system. Right. And it's not like I'm not picking on those people. Those people are trying to create. Yeah approximate justice Mm -hmm. in a world where there is no one who's just absolutely and it is an impossible task and and so some things are worth doing if you just do them as well as you can even if you know you're going to fail you still Mm -hmm. do the best you can because closer is better than farther yeah right and you need a foundation where our foundation in america is well it was in the beginning it was scripture it was scripturally you know the founding fathers use scripture and had God as our foundation where when you're, when you're using scripture as your foundation, because that is ultimate truth, it makes justice more attainable uh, within your society. But now that we've gone more away from that, justice has just basically gone out of control. But even like, even when 
So let's say that that was, let's pretend that was true. There's, there's all kinds of things that make it only kind of true, but let's say that was true. Let's say we had, a, let's say we had a country that had Christian laws and the laws were all Christian. Yeah. We still wouldn't have justice. Right. Yeah. Because you still have a system with people in it yeah. that have to act justly and nobody does. Yeah. Even good people don't always act justly. Right. right? They take yeah. shortcuts and they believe this person rather than that person because mm-hmm. of vanity or so on. Right. Whatever. Or f- for power or hope for promotion or whatever. And so it's important to recognize that, but but you still try the best you can and grow as strong as you can and you correct the mistakes when you find them and you so on. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I think it's important to recognize that, um, that that's how vengeance is. And so that's one of the reasons why the judgment of God, the way God decided to do it was you guys are, you humans are responsible for creating as much approximate justice as you can. Mm-hmm. That's your job. That's not my job. It's yeah. your job. You are supposed to take dominion over the earth, which includes taking dominion of each other, which means legal justice is your job. So when people say, well, why isn't God stepping in and doing the blah, 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 like for me, just wise, because God explicitly said in scripture, it was the job of the community, human community to do that. And we are able to do it and we yeah. choose not to. Right. Yeah. But in the end, God will bring final justice. And he's chosen to do that because if he brings immediate vengeance right now, we're all dead. Right. Anybody who's not his by mercy is dead. And every moment he waits, he allows people to come into mercy. Yeah. From vengeance. And that's his goal. The maximum number of people coming into mercy from vengeance, which is why he says that when we are most like him, we are peacemakers. What what does that mean? Yeah. Peacemakers are people taking people from the place where what they receive is vengeance Mm -hmm. into the place where what they receive is mercy. Okay. Which is his whole goal. Right. Right. And so, and so that, that gets to an act of trust for Christians. I mean, so Romans twelve nineteen says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. And so that's, right. so when we, so when we start to get into looking at the armor of God stuff, that's part of the reason why we don't have the cloak of vengeance is because it is at least part of, part of the dynamic that's going on is it is an act of trust to say, okay, I'm going to follow the command that God has given me now and trust that he is the one in the end who is going to avenge me. And so my job right right now is not that job of vengeance. Right. And I think one of the things that people don't want to believe about Romans 12, which is a critical passage to this is that, um, what that passage says, right. It says, um, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they don't have any clothes, give them something to wear. Right. And it says in doing so, you'll heap burning clothes, coals on their head. Mm -hmm. Right. And he says that because vengeance belongs to the Lord. What the logic of that passage is this, is that if you love your enemy and they still hate you, Mm -hmm. then every good deed you do to them, because it's an act of grace and they spurn it, Mm -hmm. it actually increases their guilt and therefore increases the amount of vengeance they will ultimately deserve when Jesus shows up with the cloak of vengeance. Right. Right. And so if you're good to your enemies and they hate you for it, they will pay worse because one of their crimes is the spurning of grace. And it's Mm. very important to remember that in the Bible, when you are offered goodwill and you reject it, Mm. that is a profound act of moral guilt. That's one of the reasons why John three says that you can be condemned just for not believing in Jesus. Hmm. But if you do good to somebody that hates you, you also gain gain more through right. through that persecution. In the end, you, you right. gain more. As so, like they in the rewards of mercy, right? Yeah. But it also increases the judgment of the person who doesn't believe, right? Right, or who rejects it. Yeah. But but your goal is always 
that they would respond to grace. And if they respond yeah. to grace, they come into mercy and everything's washed away. Right. right. But yeah, that's I your could, goal because then they yeah. become your brother and sister, right. your fellow soldier in the army of God. They stand behind the King Jesus with the cloak of vengeance rather than out in front of his sword. Mm-hmm. And that's Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants. Yeah, you're, that's your what you're supposed to want mindset right? should be for them to to right. reach salvation. Because right. while you were saying it, I was like, okay, so I could do really nice things to people that hate me, with the mindset that the more nice things I do to them, the 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 more like pain and and like horrible things are going to happen in God's vengeance towards them. Right. But that's just me. That's just vengeance coming from within me. Right. But trying to like manipulate God and be like, haha, I like gotcha. Right. I, right. But, but you, yeah. you can see how God is even using your worst impulses. I mean, part of the beauty of how God sets up his whole game is you can't cheat it. Hmm. Like even if you really obey him and listen to what he actually says, even in your worst impulses, like I want this guy to go to hell. Well, let's say, let's say you really just want your neighbor to go to hell. That's your main goal. Cause he's a jerk. Yeah. Right now, if you think that, then you might be a bigger jerk than him, yeah. but that's not the point right now. Or right? you might not understand hell. So let's say you go, okay, I want, I want bill this guy who lives next to me to go to hell. Okay, great. Your best chance of getting bill to go to hell is to be incredibly great to him, to love him so well that if he rejects and rejects and rejects and rejects love, he's accumulating more wrath for himself. Now think about that. What? So, okay. So like at your worst moment, what that means is you have to love another person really, 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 really well. Yeah. Right. And then God has this great sense of irony because what he might very well do is leave that guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Because if you're loving a person and you're sharing the gospel, like you're supposed to, even with somebody you hope doesn't accept it, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, right. and he can convert people that you don't even want converted. And it right. might not even. Right. I mean, that's like. And there's lots of missions story. There's lots of stories. Right. Of that, I mean, of people like hating people but just doing their duty. Uh-huh. And the, like Corey Tenboom talks about this in her in Nazi concentration camps, right. like that she just did her duty mm-hmm. even to people who were involved in the death of her sister. And late years later, they found her and said, I remember you. You did these things. I believed in yeah. Jesus. And she's mm-hmm. like so full of hatred in her heart. She's like, I'm going to kill this guy right now. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus makes her forgive him. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, sometimes it doesn't just transform yeah. the other person. It also transforms the right. person doing it. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, there's another example of this in Philippians 2, where Paul is talking about, you know, there's there's all these people who are sharing the gospel for the sake of stirring up trouble for me. Right. And Paul's like, listen. Gospel's being preached. God is using it. I don't care if they're doing it with bad motives because oh, yeah. because of because the gospel is being preached right. and God can yeah, do stuff with right. it. And yeah, but I think the yeah. point you made, Andy, is is an important one. That not only not only is it is God using it um, is God using kind of the irony of your wicked desire to to potentially produce something good in somebody else, but He's doing that same thing in you. Mm-hmm. That as your as as in wickedness you're trying to love this person for the sake of you know increasing their their guilt yeah. god might also use that in you to, to teach heart. you to yeah right, to okay since to we're clearly person. not going to talk about the armor of god in this right, podcast yeah. Yeah. i want to end with um with something i think is important which was right in my mind and now i think i've forgotten well i have a i have a question i have another one more question okay i'll, I'll ask that real quick um Okay, so so uh, in the sermon, you said that the devil just want, he wants us to quit, right? That's his main goal is for us to quit. Um, I was kind of confused by that because as at one point he said destruction is not that you would sin, but that you would quit or something along those lines. Uh, right. Yeah, 
Do you want me to explain that? Wait, one second. Yeah. Uh, so, so isn't sinning and quitting, aren't they the same thing? Like, sinning is quitting and quitting is sinning. And shouldn't we be fighting? I, I didn't make much sense to me, if I'm no. being honest. So. No, so my answer is no. Sinning is not quitting. Okay. Um, so. Okay. <laughs> um, how to explain this? Um, so, so, for example, sometimes you'll sin and you actually did not intend it. And you realize afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or sometimes you don't realize you were intending to sin, but you did intend to sin. So like if you like tell somebody off, you'd be like, well, I'm just going to tell them the truth. Yeah. And then <laughs> after you get done quote, I'm doing quotes in the air now, telling them the truth, yeah. you realize you were being a vindictive a-hole. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're like, oh crap. Yeah. I thought I would, I'd convinced it. So I committed two sins. I lied to myself and then I was vindictive towards somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Now did, okay. Are you going to hell now? No, the, no, the answer is what are you going to do now that you realize that? What are you going to do? See, what Satan wants to tell you is you're wor- you're worthless. Like yeah, you say, you're a Christian. Right. You're worthless. You just you lie to yourself. Uh-huh. You attack other people. You have you have no part with this Jesus of love and peace and blah blah blah. You're not yeah. a peacemaker. You're not a son of God. Uh-huh. So why don't you quit? Right. That's the moment of truth. Hmm. The moment of truth is: Are you going to quit or are you going to repent and apologize? What you're going to do? Are you going to harden your heart? Because remember, the Bible says today's a day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Like you did in the rebellion. Mm-hmm. And he points back to the people of Israel mm-hmm. where they chose not to believe God. They failed. And instead of repenting, they decided to just double down on being right. Huh. And that is the fundamental difference in human beings because hardness of heart is what, le- it's what leads to damnation. Right. Right. Because repentance is what leads to salvation. The, the ability to turn around. Well, turning around requires a certain softness of heart, a willingness to say that you're wrong. Right. And so the more committed you are to the, you being right, the harder your heart becomes, the less open you are, right, to God speaking to you. And so what Satan always wants for you is to be driven more into hardness of heart, more into self-assurance, more into a rejection of repentance. Even if you know you're wrong, he'll say, well, maybe you are wrong to say what you said, but what that person did to you is so bad. It's just not right for you to apologize to them because mm-hmm. they're not going to apologize to you. Right. And then and then he'll try to sound godly. He'll be like, and you know, you're really just enabling him. If you apologize to him, right. you're really just enabling his bad behavior. No, you're not. Well, you no, you're not. against you. Yeah, right. right? And so um, what Satan is always doing is trying to get you to quit. Yeah. And you guy, you have to remember that, even especially like guys who struggle with with unwanted sexual behavior, or like um, people who struggle with incredible self doubt and self hatred and self loathing. Mm. Some people ha- struggle with that and haven't even admitted to themselves that they really struggle with it. Mm. Yeah. But people who struggle with that kind of stuff, the goal is just always to get you to quit. And so the goal is always to say, "I'm not going to quit." This first thing you say is, "I'm not going to quit." I belong to God, yeah. which is why when we get to the actual armaments, the helmet of salvation is closely uh, associated with this. The, the perseverance of the saints that you mm-hmm. talked about, that's what it is. You can't quit if you have true salvation. Correct? Yes. If in, if in, but, but remember, from our perspective, right? Like we don't know what God knows yeah, about our salvation. Yeah, yeah, right. From our perspective, we have to not say, well, I'm saved, so I'm fine. Right. No, no. Yeah, from our perspective, yeah. we have to believe. What yeah. we do is we believe. And we believe in God's gifts and God's love for us and in, in what faith is. And we, we act with believing, which is why this whole thing is set up in a, in a fight metaphor. You have to put on the armor of God and you have to stand, right? right? The impetus is put on you, even though all your strength comes from gifts God has given you, it is still your job to put them on and mm-hmm. you have to stand. Yeah. And so you have to take that responsibility on yourself. And a lot of this, a lot of spiritual life has to do with, taking responsibility because one thing Satan is always doing is making a victim out of you, getting you to blame others, getting look what he's doing in the garden, get Eve to blame God, Mm -hmm. get Adam to blame Eve, get them to blame the serpent, 
get Adam to blame God for giving him this woman, Mm -hmm. right? Sin always leads towards blame, abdicating your own responsibility, and therefore justifying yourself because you aren't responsible for what happened, and therefore hardening your heart and believing that you're right. And Satan will like gladly take the blame if it means that you're going to continue to sin. And, oh, yeah. And he'll be like, yep, blame it on me. I'm yeah, fine but he'll that. usually blame it on God or somebody who right. you're supposed to love. Yeah. Is what he'll normally do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so that's critically that's all critically important so we've got to like recognize that not quitting is the fundamental thing you first trust god then you repent and then you ask god what is the worst thing you can do for the kingdom of hell and the best thing you can do for heaven right and so take all of your spite and your hatred and your vengeance and point it at the one you're really fighting which gets back to who are we really fighting right like if you got sucked into that sin because you got deceived well ask yourself what's what, what can i do right now that wrote completely reverses and makes Satan's temptation that he did to me the worst thing he could have ever done. Yeah. Mm. Right. Like, like sometimes it. I'm yeah. like, I just want to honor God. Sometimes I'm just trying to stick it to Satan. I'm just like, okay, I'm yeah. going to apologize and I'm going to love this person so well because Satan's goal was that I would create a rift with that person. Mm. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that everything he wanted to do, the opposite happens because screw him. Yeah. Right. And that's of course also that. what God wants for his own glory. Is a hatred for Satan. Is that okay? Is that good? I think that hatred for Satan is okay, yes. Right. Because I think that Satan is, or, or, or devils are in irredeemable yeah. capacity and are meant to be enemies that we're not loving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems to be Jesus' behavior towards them as well. Okay. You know? Yeah. Did you remember what you were going to say earlier or did you fit it into that? I don't think I did. No. I felt like it was coming back, and then I had to talk about something yeah, else, and right. whatever. It was really good, though. Was it? <laughs> well, what? How well, uh, gonna... well, on that note, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so to, to, to end here, let me just re- review the stuff that isn't specific to the armor of God. One is that Ephesians six says you have to put on the whole armor of God. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians only put on the first two things, and then they wonder why Satan beats them. Yeah. Like they believe the truth. They go, oh, I, I agree with the truth. And then they put on the ble- breastplate of right of righteousness, which is right, basically justification. Jesus died for my sins, so I'm forgiven. Uh-huh. But they don't really let the gospel go into their heart and create peace. They don't really put on the helmet of salvation, which is the hope that keeps you from failing, right, and dying. They don't really push out accusational thoughts through faith and reject them. They don't really do that stuff. And because of that, they just get beat up and beat up and beat up. You have to put on the whole armor of God. And for most Christians, that means you have to take steps in your emotional and spiritual theology that you haven't taken yet. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. You have to put it all on. The second thing is Satan's goal is not sin. It's the loss of faith. That's really critically important. Um, the list in the armor of God is the order in which people would put them on. And I mm. think that's important. I think it's a progression. I yeah. think I think Paul sees this as steps. We're, yeah, we'll talk about right? that on the next one. And moment. then the emphasis is on you. On you putting it on, mm-hmm. right? Like in every case, he says, "Now you put this on. You tie that on. You take up this thing. You yeah. put that on your head." Yeah. And it's important to recognize that though salvation is all of God in chapter two in Ephesians, there's another way in which it's also quote all of us in that you like you have to appropriate grace, and yeah. if you don't, it does nothing for you. Yeah. And in that, that's one of the reasons why you can say in Christian theology, if you go to heaven, it was all of Jesus. If you go to hell, it's completely your fault. Mm-hmm. Huh. Right, and then yeah. the last thing is to remember that every you, Y O U, 
in the English translation of Ephesians 6 is y'all. Mm-hmm. It's plural. The gr- Greek actually has a plural you and a singular you. Yeah. And the yous all the way through Ephesians, but also in Ephesians 6, are all plural. And the, the soldier in Ephesians 6 is an infantry soldier. Mm-hmm. Which and is a, infantry yeah. always fights together. Yeah. Yeah. There was a movie back yeah. in the late 90s, early 2000s called Black Hawk Down. Of course, mm. yeah. And in that film, there's two different groups of people fighting together. There's these um, alpha, um, they're like the like these basically commando guys. They're used to fighting teams of two or one, um, Delta Force, I think they were. And then there were Marines, and Marines are infantry. Like they fight in groups. Yeah. And the guys who were Delta Force wanted to lead the expedition, and so they led them into heavy fire, and they took more casual, took more casual, like more guys got hit, not killed, but injured. And there's a scene in the movie where the Marine lieutenant or captain grabs the delta force guy and he goes listen you can't lead like this we fight together and every guy who gets hit with a bullet two guys have to take care of him when we're at 15 percent casualties we can't move anymore hmm. right like he's trying to explain yeah. the mentality of fighting hmm. in a group to this guy who's not used to fighting in groups yeah and this other guy just doesn't get it right. yeah. it's not like he's trying to get everybody killed yeah. he's just used to fighting like two guys and so how you fight tactically when you're fighting by yourself is totally different than when you fight in a group. And this metaphor in Ephesians 6 is a we, us. He's talking to the church. He's yep. saying, you put on the helmet of salvation. You gird yourself. That's a plural mm-hmm. to the entire church. Yeah. yeah. And so, one, it's for the whole church. But two, if you don't do it, you let the whole church down. Mm-hmm. It's like you going out to infantry combat and everybody has their shield so that they can form a shield line and you're like, oh, I didn't bring mine. Mm-hmm. Well, you and the two guys on either side of you and the three people behind you can all get hit with arrows now because you don't have your shield. Uh-huh. Every one of these isn't just necessary for your own spiritual flourishing and standing. Yeah. It's necessary for the people who are supposed to be standing around you, yeah. your brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ. And so you have a responsibility, not just to yourself, but to them and to the grace of God to put all on all these things. It's not optional. It's absolutely necessary. And it is a team sport. Yeah. 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 yeah that's important. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was good to, to cover the, the base of what Paul was saying in this one and, uh, what he continues to build off of when he continues to talk about the full armor of God. We're going to get into that next podcast going yeah. in depth into probably the first three next podcast and then the next three the podcast after that, or we'll do all of them next podcast. I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, see how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also just a reminder, if you didn't do it, i I still think that you should go back and listen to Nick's sermon. If you didn't, if you ignored what I said at the beginning, go back and listen to it because it's very helpful in this. In this, so that'll be in the in the bio. Also, we're going to be starting something in two weeks uh, where you can send in your questions to us, and for the last fifteen, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes of the podcast, we will answer. Well. John and Nick will will answer your questions. I'll ask them. <laughs> um, yeah. so, also, su- subscribe, review. Yes, subscribe, review, follow. Um, tell smash your friends. that like button. <laughs> yeah, tell your friends. <laughs> um, but the, to, to to send questions in, we have go to uh, send an email to optivenetwork at gmail.com. That'll be in the bio. And then we made an Instagram. Oh, good. Woo. We made an Instagram. It's Optive Network. And so just go follow that, and then you can ask questions on that too. Uh, and Yeah, so, so that's about it. Uh, Happy New Year, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.